Hello, and welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. I'm Peter Bregman, and I believe that the best leaders don't try to do it alone. As the CEO of Bregman Partners, my mission for over 30 years and the mission of this podcast is to help successful people like you close your leadership gaps, grow as leaders, and inspire your team, inspire all the people around you to get great results. With us today is one of my favorite guests. Uh, she's been on the show several times. Uh, you should recognize her by now. If not, then you should remember her name, Emily Fletcher. Emily Fletcher. She uh, has written a book about uh, meditation, which is great book. Uh, Stress less, accomplish more. If I'm if I'm remembering correctly. You got it. Okay. Nice awesome. Um, but mostly she's taught me meditation and she teaches meditation through Ziva online and Ziva. She's the founder of the Ziva meditation technique. She's taught Ziva technique to 40,000 people. She's launched Ziva kids, which is meditation for kids. I will tell you that I've meditated my whole life, probably since I was 12 on and off. But honestly, it wasn't until I met Emily and started doing meditation with Emily. And when I say that, I say it lightly because I learned meditation from Emily, but I do meditation on my own. It's not like I'm meditating with Emily every day. I'm, I'm meditating on my own. I've been doing it for four years, probably twice a day, 20 minutes a day since Emily, since you and I met in person. And, uh, and I, it's actually fundamentally made a lot of changes in my life. And my wife was just saying she wants to start meditating because, I mean, she does still meditate, already, but she knows so many people who's started meditating, then their life changes in certain ways. So anyway, I'm excited to have you on. I also did a program with you called Moving to Mastery, which I want to talk about on the show. But in general, like meditating twice a day, I want to have you on the podcast, you know, once or twice a year, because <laughs> it kind of infuses the podcast with, you know, a little bit of a, a spiritual booster shot that I think can be helpful to anybody. Yeah, spiritual booster shot. I love that. Also, how have you and your wife made it four years with you meditating twice a day, every day, and her not? Like, well, what's actually, that it's like? interesting. So she does meditate. She meditates in the morning. I think she has a hard mm -hmm. time finding time in the afternoon to meditate. Sure. She meditates in the morning. But I think her experience is that her mind just wanders the whole time and she's not actually meditating. And, and of course, what you say is what I say to her, which is like your mind wandering is meditation. And, and it's but just, has she been trained? I forgot. I don't think I've met her, right? She did the online program, okay. uh, but she hasn't been trained with you in person. Okay. All right. So she needs a little refresher. We just need yeah. to tune up a little bit. Right. Okay, right. great. Well, we'll dedicate this podcast to her. Okay. Like, great. Just listen good. to this. Right. <laughs> okay. That's what I'll do. Okay. okay. So. Um, Emily, thank you again for, for welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast, and thank you again for coming on and for all that you've uh, taught me and continue to teach me. I was saying to a friend of mine that I was going to meditate, and she texted me and said, one day you're going to have to tell me why I should meditate. And, and my answer to her was, uh, I could tell you what meditation's done for me, but I'm not going to, you know, you meditate if you want to meditate. I'm not going to make you meditate. Um, you, I think, could probably answer that question better than I did. So I'm sort of curious to pose her question to you, which is if someone's listening to this podcast and they're like, and, you know, my mother would be in this category. Oh, it's so boring. I think meditation is so boring. I don't, I don't understand why people meditate. Um, what do you say? Yeah, 
Great question. So obviously it depends on who you're talking to, but I'll give you the things that are universally beneficial, right? The things that almost every human is struggling with. To ask the question, hey, why should I meditate is similar to asking the question, hey, one day you're going to have to tell me why I should sleep. Like that would be an absurd question. We couldn't even imagine asking that question. Somebody tell me why I should sleep. And if anyone has read the book, Why We Sleep by, I think it's Matthew Walker. It's like, it's very disturbing when you read all of the things that happens to your body when you stop sleeping. And you can basically translate those on a less acute, less terrifying scale to not meditating because it's brain atrophy, it's um, skin elasticity breakdown, immune system weakening, insomnia, premature aging, um, breakdown in gray matter, breakdown in white matter in your brain, digestive issues, cortisol and adrenaline, which are stress hormones, which are acidic in nature, which leads to inflammation in the body, which is the basis of all uh, chronic disease. And so it's it's sort of like, um, <laughs> I mean, really imagine going a week, a month, a decade, without sleeping. I mean, you couldn't, you would die. Like if you went- well, that's, I think that's my question, which is that you literally, like it's like, yeah, we could sleep more or less, but you can't not sleep. Like, like you can't not sleep. You can not meditate. There's like a that's lot correct. of people who go through their lives not meditating. Right, and the thing that I don't think people understand is that like back in the day, like when we did not have electricity or shades or air conditioning, we slept in very different cycles. Right. Um, we you know sun would go down, you'd build a fire, have dinner, go to bed, you know, let's call it eight, nine PM. You'd sleep until two or three in the morning and you'd wake up for a few hours and you'd have something called the watch. In Elizabethan literature, it's called the watch. And you're awake for a few hours, maybe you have sex, maybe you're talking, but it's sort of like quiet, dark, awake time where you're in between these states of consciousness. And then the sun comes up at 6 a.m. and you wake up again. Maybe you take a nap midday. You know, it's too hot to be outside working. There's no air conditioning. So you go inside again, you close down. You restart the whole operating system. And we don't do that anymore. We have electricity, we have computers, we have shades, air conditioning. So we can just produce, produce, produce all day, every day. We don't have to follow the cycles of nature. We don't have to follow our circadian, circadian rhythms even. And so we've lost these quiet, waking, restful periods. Right. You know, we're not quite awake, we're not quite asleep, it's this in-between. And it is in these beautiful, powerful states of consciousness where your right and left brains are talking to each other. This right. is where creativity and productivity get to dance. This is where masculine and feminine get to dance. This is where past and future and present moment awareness get to dance. And so that's sort of the esoteric answer, but the, the practical answer is why should I meditate? It's like, well, if stress is causing you any ailments in your life, insomnia, anxiety, depression, overwhelm, um, overeating, uh, shopping addictions, drug addictions, caffeine addictions, smoking pot to go to sleep, um, tuning out and watching Netflix or worse, the news, in, in social media addiction, like all of those are symptoms of stress and you could spend tens of thousands of dollars and decades of your life trying to treat the symptoms or you could actually just handle the root cause and the single most powerful tool we have to heal the root cause is meditation so i want i, I love i love what you said and i and i want to underscore the importance in our like pandemic zoom culture which is even like when we weren't so much just sitting in front of our screens, 
um, there was some downtime. And, and a lot of times we're occupying ourselves watching Netflix on the downtime, but maybe you're going to a meeting or you're going, and now many of us, like you're just in Zoom meeting after Zoom meeting, I have Zoom, yeah. like you're really back to back to back to back, back, to back. nine, 10, you're 11, really 12, not computer, computer, that computer, computer. Um, it's like, we're even like, we're on, whatever we were five years ago, we're on steroids of that. You know, we can manage and control our environment, especially if we're working globally and we're talking to, you know, Europe in the morning and Asia in the evening. And like, you know, there's, you're just, you could really work all the time. And it actually is what, one of the things that makes meditation a little hard sometimes I have to interrupt my day and say for 20 minutes when I'm super busy, I'm going to do nothing. Like I'm going to meditate, which is not doing nothing, but it feels like I'm doing nothing by just sitting sure. there when all this stuff is happening. And it's very hard for me to sit sometimes within three minutes of sitting. Once I've committed to that 20 minutes, it becomes much easier and I'm able to settle in. Yeah. I, so that was the first thing I want to say. The second thing is I do have a question for you around stress. So here is one of the things that I've realized. Now I'm now I'm getting free coaching from you, but I'm sharing it with the world or those people who are listening to Great. this Great, it's my pleasure. It's my favorite um, thing to do. So one of the impacts, I, I've been going through a massive change in my life over the last five years. And it has to do with a number of things, but I'm shifting from this very male dominated, like get a lot of stuff stuffed achievement. I'm the number one coach. I'm rank the top 10 leader. I'm, I'm this, I'm that five books, 16 books I've contributed to like all of this stuff to saying, okay, I'm slowing down. I'm prioritizing some other things. I'm going to write fiction instead of nonfiction. I'm going to like drop a lot of the marketing stuff I was doing because it doesn't give me energy or pleasure, but I'm going to really focus on the coaching and the senior advisory work. And I'm, and I'm shifting my business in many, many ways that makes me very, very happy. I've stopped doing everything I don't like doing. I'm doing everything that I love doing and I'm having a bigger impact. And, and here's what's happening. So, so and, I'm, and I'm crediting meditation with some of this, certainly, that it has slowed me down and lets me be in touch with what I feel like is important to me and parts of myself that I was sort of stepping over. You can argue that that's great because I'm de-stressing from all of these things. The reality is what I have recently noticed is doing this is creating stress for me, like doing slowing, slowing down, mm -hmm. actually meditating and, and creating space from my normal, aggressive, ambitious, nonstop action is creating stress because I feel like I'm out of the flow a little bit. I'm seeing other people get ranked and I feel, oh, I'm not in that game anymore. I'm not, I don't need to get ranked anymore. Mm -hmm. I, I was already the number one executive coach in the world, but it still makes me a little nervous that a new mm -hmm. ranking is going to come out and I've pulled myself out. So I'm not going to be on it. And yeah. so there's a way in which the change that meditation is offering me, which has been entirely positive in my life in terms of focusing on what's really, really important and letting go of the things that I know aren't also creates stress because I'm watching the race go on and I'm not in that race. And intellectually, yeah. I know I don't need to be, but physiologically, it makes me nervous not to be in it. Mm. So it's interesting. So would you, when you go into that feeling, you see the rankings, it's 10 people, you're not on it. And you like close your eyes and you remember the sensation in your body. What, what does that sensation feel like? How would you describe it? Um, I want to eat. <laughs> 
I'm, I'm hungry. And I'm suddenly hungry. I want hungry, to eat. Yeah, which is which it, is. It, it, it's like the nervousness. It's the. It's it's a. So it feels like nervousness, not sadness. Uh, yes, it doesn't feel like sadness. I'm okay with sadness. I think sadness is great. I love sadness. Uh, it's the. It's more anxiety. It's more like. And uh -oh. what's the story behind the fear? Um, like if I mean, the anxiety if we, had a voice. Yeah, if we really want to go deep, it's probably some kind of ancestral trauma related to the Holocaust and my mother in the Holocaust and like what we need to do in order to make sure that we're safe is, you know, we need to be out there and I need to make money and I need to, and I'm still doing those things actually. But there's this feeling that, uh-oh, uh I might be falling behind and mm -hmm. I might no longer do those things. And then everything else is just going to sort of slip away because mm -hmm. I'm choosing not to be in the race. I'm not, I'm not like running in the race and failing. I'm choosing not to run that particular race. But yeah. a lot of people around me, a lot of my very, very good friends, a lot of people that I really like and um, are continuing to run the race. And so the and what did the like, rankings do for you? Like, what did the race do for you? What did the rankings do for you? And can you measure that against like the impact that you're having now? I mean, you said you're doing less, you're accomplishing more. It is, yeah. <laughs> and that your impact is greater, and you're right. doing the things that bring you joy. So, if, like, we if we look at that in one bucket and we quantify that versus like what were the rankings and what did being in the race do for you right. as far as like results, like which one would you put, like, right. can so, you quantify those? Yeah, no question. Like the, I'm, I'm letting go of things that don't, that are not contributing to what is most important to me. Meaning mm -hmm. my business has doubled since I've been doing this. Like my, you know, I've got great clients. I love them. They're awesome. I'm doing great work with them. So that's what matters. My being ranked, it will not impact my business. My coming out with a new nonfiction book will not, it'll impact people hopefully, but it's not gonna impact my business in that particular way. Except for to the degree which you can say like, hey, I had a successful business. I doubled my business and I created a fiction work because I wanted to. Right. And then when you have that visceral memory and that proof, like how, how many creative projects can you then inspire and justify in your clients and in these people who you have influence? Yeah, with? so that makes a huge difference. So, 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 but your, and your question is what am I giving up? And I think what I'm giving up is, is the recognition, is public recognition and a feeling that I get is ephemeral and yet still holds weight somehow that I am, I am relevant, that I'm in yeah. the flow of things, that people know my name, that... You know, I keep thinking, and I wrote his name down, Cat Stevens, when Cat Stevens, you know, the singer decided like, I'm a total rock star, but I'm going to go, uh, you know, basically be a monk, you know, just step out of the rock scene. And I, I so admire that. Like, I, I think it, like, I'm sad that I, you know, he, he had some great music early on, but you know, if you want, if you want to hear Kirtan, he's still doing Kirtan. Um, <laughs> but I, but I. But look, I, I think I, you're speaking to people's like greatest fear is that they'll start yeah. meditating and then they'll become a monk. Or they'll start meditating and they'll stop making money. They'll start meditating and then they'll waste their time for 20 minutes a day and they'll become less productive. Right. And I've basically dedicated the last 13 years of my life to disproving that theory 
and actually rebranding meditation as a performance tool. And like, good news, that's done now. Like, thank you, Tim Ferriss. Thank you, Peter Bregman. Thank you, Oprah Winfrey. Thank you, Seattle Seahawks. Thank you, Ray Dalio, who attributes the entirety of his financial sex, set, sex. <laughs> Freudian slip, which is what I'm working on now is sacred sexuality. But he, he attributes the entirety is financial success to meditation. Right. So it's a yes and like this thing, you can use it as a tool to make right. you more productive, to make you more money, to make your mind more acute, to improve your decision making. And you're four years in now, right? You're four years into every day, twice a day, you're transcending your identity. Every day, twice a day, you're transcending your ego. Every day, twice a day, you're actually practicing dying. Because when you transcend the left brain ego, small self identity and connect to your right brain, big self totality, you are in fact practicing dying. And so there is so like you by default, not through your intellectual mind, not through the traumatized ancestral trauma habit brain, but through the knowingness in your cells and through the connection to the divine, which happens sort of by default when meditating every day, twice a day, and whatever you define as divine is up to you. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just that connection with totality itself. And so I think quite innocently and spontaneously, you are starting to prioritize the things that are not just most relevant to you, but the things that are most relevant to nature, right? Like the thing I love about this practice is we're tuning in twice a day to be like, hey, how would you use me? Like. And it's not even an intellectual process, right? right? By you surrendering your most valuable resource, which is your time, by you plugging into collective consciousness itself, you are in fact raising your hand and saying like, hey, use me as a vessel. And what I have found almost exclusively is that when you start to do things, when you start to use your gifts to be of highest service to the greatest need of the time, you become more valuable. Right? you make more money more people want to date you and then and it sounds to me like just your waking state ego the old vestiges of the stories and the and the tools that got you where you are you know it's very hard to put down survival mechanisms and tools that gave you success and right now you're putting down both right right and it, and it's scary and sometimes sad and you're facing your own mortality in some because it's like you're facing relevance Am I still relevant? And then in addition to all of this, the whole world has changed, right? right? And you're entering a new phase of life. So it's a lot to handle. It's a lot to right. navigate. And I think the, the answer is like, we continue to adapt, adapt, adapt. And that's what I love about this practice is that you're plugging into the source of adaptation energy twice a day. So do you have advice in that place where I or someone might feel some of that anxiety or that nervousness? Like I'll say my, my, my advice to myself is, and I have enough evidence to suggest this is smart, trust the process, meaning just keep doing the meditation. But I'm curious if there's anything else that any other advice or thoughts that you would have, you know, speaking to people who are saying like, I'm a little worried sitting there doing nothing twice a day, breathing, thinking my mantra uh, that I'm gonna fall behind or, or maybe not. Maybe I know intellectually everything that we've been talking about for the last 20 minutes is totally 100% true. And I still feel some of that anxiety that, you know. Yeah, so to me, it's, it's two questions. Like one is like the nervousness and anxiety that I'm meditating and that I'm wasting my time. That's one piece. It, what, what sounds like for you, it's much a bit more profound and a bit bigger in that it's, um, it's fear of letting go of the, the tools that got you the success that you've been given right. and and true. fear of letting go of the actual survival mechanisms that have been bred into your genes that you've inherited epigenetically 
Right. And both of those things are terrifying. And so I would say advice wise, it's just bit by bit, day by day, you're shedding the skin, you're shedding the shields, you're shedding the calluses, but you don't have to chop off. You don't like cut off a callus all at once, your bleed. You know, you just bit by bit, you soften it, you know, with loofahs or acid or whatever. So you let it, it shift subtly. Now, as far as like acute anxiety, like I'm having intense feelings right now. And that could be about school shootings or pandemics or World War III or the economy or the market, or I'm, I think I'm wasting my time sitting in this chair and I'm feeling feelings. I'm actually developing a whole new curriculum, which I'm so excited about. I'm taking a sabbatical for July to go and just birth um, these new tools. So, but I'll give you a sneak peek into some of the modalities that I've been playing with. Um, and it's very much about this exact thing. It's state change. Like, where are you right now? And where do you want to be? And I think that, and that sounds simple because it is, but how often when, when you get into a panic attack, it's, it's like you, you sometimes are so overwhelmed that you forget to just stop and be like, wait, like what's happening in my body? Where am I feeling this panic? Where am I feeling this anxiety? Oh, my heart is beating really fast. Oh, my stomach feels like acidic. Oh, I can feel like my nervousness in my hands. I'm feeling that new, that desire to eat. So you just stop, where am I right now? And then here's the magic part. What state would I love to be in? And this is like the manifesting piece of Ziva online. It's ridiculously simple, but not that many people are doing it. Not that many people ask themselves, what would I love right now? And so in this moment, in the upset, can you stop and can you take 0.5 seconds to ask yourself, what state would I love to be in? Okay, so I'm feeling nervous and anxious. What I'd love to feel right now is productive. Okay, so then I would recommend like some combination of uh, like cathartic dance or like, like a ragey dance and like, or whatever feeling is coming up for you. So like you could put on your angriest song, your saddest song, or the most like intense song and just punch move a pillow, body. shake right. it out, move that energy, move it. And right. then, you know, you put on a song that might help you feel the, the state that you want to feel. That's one right. way you could do it. Right. You could also journal, right? Like just right. like get all that stuff out, 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 out. But the thing is energy wants to move emotion. Right energy in motion. It's when it gets trapped and stuck that we don't know what to do and then we sublimate it and then it gets trapped in ourselves. It's great. It's great. And it's very aligned with everything that I've seen and leading with emotional courage and like the idea of, of, of moving and, and, you know, kind of what are you feeling? Where are you feeling it in your body? Yeah. And, and another simple way if people don't like journaling or don't like dancing another one is just a purge like my i have a coach and like what she has me do is purge so i just make like a voice note and it's just like i don't judge it i don't try and fix it i don't try and be nice or be smart it's just like bleh. i just like vomit out all of the stories and then and then once that's done i have to do a talk back Right. And I have, almost like as if I'm a lawyer or a PR agent and I have to look at that and be like, what's true? What's not true? What needs addressing? What was just emotional vomiting? And um, and then if there's any action, and then I send it to her and I have to do that anytime I'm like lower than an 8.5. Um, so it's it, you know, it's a lot. But right. the alternative is you're marinating and curdling yourself in stress chemistry. Right, right, right. And making right. decisions from a stressed out state, which costs us a lot of time and money. Right. Let's talk about the course that you have that I've gone through that I'm going to go through again uh, when when you do it live, um, moving to mastery, um, which I really enjoyed. And this is interesting because it's it's um, it's a programmatic 
process that you that that you know you talk about a lot in a sense which is we're meditating not to get good at meditation but to get good at life and so you know the idea is here are different elements of life you know your relationships your body your brain your money your purpose your creativity your time um here are different elements of life and and let's talk about and work with bringing the meditation into these areas of life and bringing action in these areas of life that help us to get good at life right mm-hmm. i'm so and and the way it's set up is it's like you know the there's i think eight modules i might have the number wrong but there's a mm-hmm. bunch of modules and every module you know you have a guest who comes and speaks to it and and you're also i really have to say a terrific teacher like i've always enjoyed you 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 use language well and you're very clear in in what you mm-hmm. teach so i like your parts Thanks. i'm curious about a few things i'm curious about and maybe i already said why you did it but i i kind of want to hear from you like why 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 this course moving to mastery why did i make it or why would someone take it um why why did you decide uh like i'm sort of curious about why you decided this is something i want to put out in the world and and then i'm sort of interested i, I kind of want to go through each one of these a little bit and talk about a few things from them okay great but let's start with like why you decided to do this yeah so why did i make moving into mastery so you know i do think this will be on my tombstone we meditate to get good at life not to get good at meditation so you know to your friend tell one day you have to tell me why i should meditate it's like well to get better at life and that could be being a better lover mother friend coworker, you know disciple like whatever it is that you're into in life it's very hard to do that well when you're stressed and so the meditation piece is part of it, you know, and I would say it's a foundational, really important part because the meditation itself is defragging the brain computer, right? You are getting the nervous, you're getting the stress out of the nervous system, not just the stress from today, but all the stress from your past, which is ushering you into higher states of consciousness. So it's the equivalent of giving yourself a brand new computer. And then moving into mastery is the software. This is the operating system that you now have the luxury of running on your brand new computer. So let's say you bought brand new MacBook Pro, brand fresh off the shelf at Apple, and then you try and run you know, Windows 95 on it, or, you know, Safari, you know, whatever it was in the 2001. Um, it's just, you're not gonna get as much out of the machine if you're running old, outdated, limited software. And conversely, what most of the world is doing is that they're trying to run very advanced software on very stressed out brain machines. And this is, you know, we're living in the information age. We don't really need more information. We need the ability to process, cognize, and take action on the information. Mm -hmm. And this particular knowledge, like what I teach inside of Moving Into Mastery is the most profound thought system I've ever come across. It is the most profound knowledge that I've personally ever heard, read, discovered. And and once I learned it, once I started studying the Vedas, which Veda is a Sanskrit word, V-E-D-A, Sanskrit word that means knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of nature. It's like, this is, the Vedas are a human interpretation of natural law. And, And the reality is if you have a masterful understanding of natural law, you can apply that to every area of your life. And that's why we decided to break it up into these modules, mastering your time, your money, your relationships, your performance, because it's one thing to study them philosophically. And I personally love that. Like I could sit around and just listen to lectures on the Vedas all day, every day and be in my happy place. And most people are like, so what? 
okay, great. So here's this ancient philosophy. How's that going to make me more money? Cool. This is the way nature works, but how's that going to find me a husband or a wife? Um, and so I really wanted to take this erudite information and give the philosophical clips, open the old outdated paradigms that aren't serving us as a species, but then bring on guest teachers that could very much tether these concepts into the 3D world. So I brought in Andrew Huberman, who's a neuroscientist from Stanford. So he did Mastering Your Brain. Um, he's also a Ziva graduate. And so it was really fun for me to talk about the concepts, you know, esoterically, but then he's like, no, here's actually what's happening in your brain. Um, you know, we had Max Lugavir, who's a you know, New York Times bestselling author and um, health writer, and we did Mastering your body together. So it was just fun to be like, here's these concepts and now look how they can apply to what I would consider to be the most important areas of your life. And really my goal in it was like, okay, so I've made 45,000 meditators, right? I've had the gift and privilege of up-leveling 45,000 humans, state of consciousness, brains and nervous systems. And now what? Like if they're just sitting on clouds of bliss by themselves in their house, cool. Like I get some good karma points for that but how's that helping the species, right? And so I really do believe that, I mean, you see like the imbalance, like what we've created with our energy systems and our food distribution and just, you know, the greed and the fear, like it's, we're, we're currently living in the consequences of an imbalanced philosophy of an, like too much, like you said, masculine energy. And part of this five-year shift that you're having is that you're feeling the rise of feminine energy, which is not the rise of women. It is the rise of feminine energy, which is in all genders, nourishing human interpretations of natural law that I've ever found, and then bringing them into a lot of changemakers in an attempt to get these philosophies into the, the corporations, the um, distribution plans, into the, the cities, the governments, like this is my dream. Right. How did you pick? So you, you know, you, you mentioned Andrew Huberman and Max Lugavere and, and you had mm -hmm. Lauren Vander talk about relationships. Uh, Jesse Israel, I really liked talking about, I, I loved his, I mean, everybody had different energy. Each person had different energy. Mm -hmm. um, I'm curious how you chose, you know, the, the people, the, different, the people. Yeah. I mean, it was really just like my friends. It was like the people who have impacted me personally. So Lauren is my coach. Jesse is a student of mine who like then went on to like go on tour with Oprah and has started these like mass meditations. Um, Andrew Huberman and I met at a conference and he ended up writing the intro to my book, but I, the second I saw him on stage, I was just like, oh, we're going to work together because it's so rare to find a scientist. And he's a legit scientist. Like there's yeah, a yeah. lab at Stanford named after him, but he's also a gifted teacher. And I find that that's so rare um, to find someone that can really do both, be a teacher and a scientist. And so I knew from the moment I met him, I wanted to work with him. Lauren has really impacted my life profoundly personally. She's coached me personally, professionally. And I really like her system, like her modality and the only real like coaching modality that I've swum in for a while. Um, and I find it cool. Like I like the structure of it and the creativity of it. And then Max so and I were really good friends. And so it's like just people, people that have impacted you. And yeah. People that I were friends that I'm friends with that I think are very talented, top of class right. in this area. Right. And that has personally impacted my life. Right. And that are good teachers. Right. And most of them are Ziva grads too, which I think helps. Right, right. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's great. NQ I thought was was terrific too. And and yeah. actually he got me 
he he really got me uh, uh, through a writing block that I had around the fiction thing when I, when I so that was great. Oh, I'd love if you wanted to write something up about that. I'd be so love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd so love I'm to hear to. it. Yeah, yeah. And NQ is like the world's for people who don't know him. He's like the world's greatest spoken word poet, and he's also a masterful teacher. I have written some of what I consider to be like my best work in his poetry workshops, and I'm, I don't consider myself a poet. I didn't. But now I do because I've done these workshops enough time that I'm like, no, if I set a 20 minute timer and I have a prompt, I can make something cool. Right, and I think right. proving that to yourself again and again, right. it's like it's a powerful exercise. Right. I think timers are brilliant for moving through blocks also. Yeah. Um, I want to share like a couple of things that you say in through this and okay. then and then get your, you know, just have you riff off of it a little bit. OK, um, uh, things that I really loved. Uh, and um, uh, here's one of them. One became two for the joy of becoming one again. Yeah, I love that as a concept. Can you talk a little bit about it? Yeah. So what I say is if you had to sum up the entirety of the Vedas, which again is an ancient body of knowledge, it's not a book, it's not a doctrine, it's not a dogma. And this, it, even the concept of the Vedas itself can be a little hard to grasp. Um, but it, it's like this beautiful, expansive philosophy. And I would say at the core of it, if you had to distill it down into one sentence, it would be this. The one became two for the joy of becoming one again, right? So the black hole, anti-matter, akasha, right? Akasha is matter in Sanskrit uh, as a negating force. So like the nothingness became somethingness for the joy of reuniting into nothingness, right? It's like, why do we even incarnate? Why did our soul come to earth and create these bodies? Why did nature even choose to create consciousness inside of human bodies? Like, these are the questions that we talk about inside of the Vedas. And for me, it's like, the, the philosophy that rings the most true to me and that I like to adopt the most and that I have zero proof is true or not, is just that nature got bored being by herself for eons and eons and then she wanted to separate so that she could enjoy falling in love with herself again and so if you think about when you fall in love with someone you're like wait you you like chocolate mousse i love chocolate mousse you like zip lining i love zip lining like we're just really falling in love with ourselves through this appearance of separateness it's like the waves are all looking at all the other waves it's like all oh, right we are the ocean you go to see an amazing play and like no matter how different seeming the protagonist is there's something about it like successful plays anywhere successful movies there's something simultaneously so specific about that character's journey that is also universally relevant and this has been an artistic concept that has baffled me for decades because i used to be on broadway you know for a long time and i used to teach acting for a long time and i found that in art the more specific you are with your choices the more universally resonant it is and and so with this it's like the more specific you are with your individuality, the more you start to connect with all these other extensions of totality appearing as individuality. So it's like, it's a lot of different waves on one same ocean and they appear separate. 
Now, where I like the Vedic philosophy more than some other philosophies is that you can get into philosophies where it's like, oh, it's it, that's an illusion. This world is an illusion. None of this matters. What matters is God. What matters is the 5D. That's what you need to put your attention on. None of this matters. And what I love about the Vedas is that it's both and. What I love about the meditation practice is that it's both and. You are celebrating and developing both the left brain and the right brain, the individuality and the totality at the same time. It's, it brings me to another thing that you've said a lot, which is there's only one thing and we are all it. Yeah, we're all, there's only one thing and we're all it. And that one thing is consciousness. And that it's like, if you think about my definition of God would be the collective consciousness of all that is. So you, me, Pluto, the plant in your place, your dog, every car on the street, the collective consciousness of all that is, is what my working definition of God and and actually they've like proven this with it was like seven or eight years ago when they discovered the higgs boson particle so far it's the smallest thing that we can detect it's smaller than a leptoquark and it's just a wave and i thought it was so funny i read this new york times article and finally i got to it like it's a wave and i started laughing so i was like well it took us six thousand years and a few billion dollars but we finally got back to what these indian dudes have been saying for a long time which is that there's only one thing and we're all it and we're all just waves on this giant ocean of consciousness and you're the wave that looks like Peter and I'm the wave that looks like Emily. But if you de-excite, which in the Vedas, it's all about a lowerarchy, right? And this is also, you're seeing this, it's like, I used to want to be on the list, but right. now you're like, no, I want to get close to source. I want to, I want to wake up my own divinity by birthing fiction, by working with the people who are really going to change consciousness on planet earth. And that happens through you connecting to source, which is a lowerarchy. Can that wave of individuality get deeper and deeper connected to that source oceanic creativity? What I, what I like about what you're saying also is what you said when we were talking about moving to mastery, which is it is both about connecting to source and also about acting in the world. Like it's not, it's not one versus the other. It's not acting in the world without that connection and it's not connecting without acting, but it's, you know, it's acting, but from a different place. Oh, that's really well said. It's not about connecting without action. It's not about action without connecting. It's about both. And we have a saying in the Vedas, which is grounded in being perform action. And I mm -hmm. think you could say the same thing, grounded in source perform action. Right. And, and we've seen right now, we're living in a world of 8 billion people. Most of them are not connecting to source every day. Maybe right. 1 billion, I'd say that's generous, of people who every single day connect to source energy, yoga, meditation, prayer, ecstatic dance, whatever way, LSD, like whatever way you see the face of God, mm -hmm. great. But I would say it's generous to say to a billion people a day are doing that. And I, I like to imagine like how would the whole flavor, texture, and operation system of the planet change if 7 billion people, we don't need everybody, but let's say even just 7 billion people were connecting to source every day, like what would right. shift? We are not seeking fulfillment, but we're fulfillment seeking impact. Hmm. Yeah, so this to me, it's, it's like before you have a meditation practice or you know whatever you are, for some people it's, prayer but that's tricky because most people's prayer is like complaining to god and begging god for stuff so i use that term prayer loosely um but there are forms of prayer that can in fact put you into ecstatic states and get you into like bliss states before you have a daily let's call it a source connection practice it's very easy to believe 
that your happiness lies on the other side of a person, place, or thing. What I would call the I'll be happy when syndrome, mm -hmm. right? That you need, that you are in fact need that needs to be fulfilled. And what I love about this practice and the subsequent teachings and in moving into mastery is that it gives you a visceral experience that you have everything you need inside of you, right? Like the kingdom of heaven is within. What you seek is in you. We know this. It's been in every spiritual text since the beginning of time. But it's one thing to know that as an intellectual concept. What Ziva does for you is that it gives you that experience viscerally, tangibly, every day, twice a day, so that you flood your brain and body with dopamine and serotonin, which are bliss chemicals. And then when you come out of that meditation, it's like you know that this one person cannot bring you your fulfillment because you just accessed your fulfillment. You know this one job cannot bring you your fulfillment because you just accessed your fulfillment in the only place that it resides, which is inside of you. And so instead of being need, looking for fulfillment, this practice turns you into fulfillment, looking for need. And then the paradoxical thing that happens when you approach your life from a place of, I am fulfillment, where can I contribute? Everything you want starts to show up by accident. More people want to hire you. More people want to sleep with you. You magically make more money because it's like people want to work with and sleep with those types of people. Neediness is not sexy. Detachment right. is sexy. Right. And the only way to truly be detached is to know viscerally that you have everything you need inside of you. That you are enough. And from that place, you can act. Yeah. Right. Um, Emily, this has been such a terrific conversation. It's always lovely to see you. It's always lovely to talk uh, to you. Tell us, you know, like if people are interested in meditating and learning more about meditation from you, if they're interested in the moving to mastery, what do people need to know? Yeah. So uh, if you wanted to be moving into mastery, you would have to do Ziva online first. And that is like the online version of, of what you did. So it's it's 15 minutes a day for 15 days. You learn mindfulness, meditation and manifesting, which is the Ziva technique. And it's so simple. It's actually you're doing 20 because you did the live training. But with Ziva online, it's only 15 minutes. Um, so it's super doable, no matter how busy you are. It's like if Oprah has time to meditate, you have time to meditate. So you start with Ziva online and then we're opening enrollment for moving into mastery. It opens every year in July. So that'll be coming up soon. And I would say, you know, I do also like executive coachings and I've started doing like seven day intensives, but it's more in, um, sacred sexuality and Tantra, but it's like in, in-person intensives, um, which I don't recommend for an executive retreat, but, um, could be good for a couple or an individual. All sorts of issues that are going to come up if you do that on an executive yeah. retreat. Okay. That's and great. I would say to find that stuff, you would just go to zivameditation.com, um, slash podcast. Actually, if you go to zivameditation.com slash podcast, that's going to give you access to a free masterclass that goes much deeper into all the neuroscience of this stuff. And then people can get started with Ziva online. Okay, zivameditation.com forward slash podcast. Yep, you got um, it. And we'll put, that in the, we'll put that in the show notes also. Emily Fletcher, it is such a pleasure having you on the Bregman Leadership Podcast. Thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you for the impact that you've had on me. And thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me on so many times and for touching so many lives. I'm looking forward to seeing you again. Thanks for listening. Here's what I've learned from working with some of the most successful leaders of the most successful companies. Every leader, every team, 
and every organization has a leadership gap. If you want to become a leader who inspires your team to get things done, then you've got to start by raising the level of your leadership abilities. You can start by taking our free leadership gap assessment at www.bregmanpartners.com forward slash quiz. Then dive deeper with a copy of my latest book, Leading with Emotional Courage. For more ways to become a truly great leader, check out our online offerings, in-person workshops and events, and my articles at www.bregmanpartners.com. Again, thanks so much for joining me today, and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.